Hello and welcome to Commission Talks with Josh Schaub. In this episode, Josh and I sit down to play some word association and we talk about topics ranging from the coronavirus all the way to whether or not college athletes should be paid. We hope you enjoy. Now, you don't know what I'm going to do in this no, episode. This is, uh, <laughs> you're throwing me in the lions here. No, I'm just I'm gonna, at the mercy of Jake Kranz right now. Right. I'm just going to say one word. And oh, you tell word association. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, well, I guess this is technically two words. Okay. Coronavirus. Uh, mystery and it really becoming um, something at top of mind. And I've been hitting, being hit from multiple angles about addressing it. So this morning we sent out memos to the leagues regarding, one, resources for them and their teams and where to go for more information. Two, coming up with a catastrophe plan. So if this is declared a national emergency, we cancel games, what does that look like? Also legal checks on their leases if they have to cancel games, the financial implications. We're also seeking out best practices from other leagues. So clearly, uh, I think the NBA had a memo leaked yesterday about their response, which I'm gonna be borrowing from freely. Some people call that stealing. But I think following best practices of other leagues and, and museums, zoos, Anybody that has large gatherings of people, including airports, we're going to be following that and try to implement in our league. The biggest scare I have is the financial implications for our entities and our teams. We're a cyclical business. We only have a window of time to capitalize every year. And if you miss a whole season, half season, even a few units, which are games, it could be catastrophic for some of our teams that can't weather the storm. So um, we th even think about insurance in this regard. And is there an insurance product that fits there? We have rain insurance in baseball. Um, I don't know if we have a pandemic insurance or <laughs> national emergency insurance. I mean, it's not something to laugh about, but the reality is it's top of mind and um, something we're concerned about and addressing as quickly as possible. Okay. Next one, Rob Manfred. I have a lot of empathy for Rob Manfred and what just happened with the Houston Astros um, discipline. The thing is, as a commissioner, you, you make decisions, and really it's very hard to let the public into why. Um, you know, what we do in the boardroom and behind the scenes is subject to a lot of confidentiality. And I think he only came out later and said, listen, I had to go give immunity to the players to get them to speak about it so he can institute some punishment later to the team. Baseball commissioners, myself included, does not we don't have subpoena power. We're not a court. We can't summon players in and force them to speak or go to jail. We don't have that kind of consequence. And he's dealing with the CBA where there's clearly protections over there for the players in this regard. So his hands were tied to implement the appropriate discipline here. Um, and I think it's also a little more widespread than the Astros. And maybe there was a sense of that and how this could unravel. Um, I think, moreover, commissioners are in just such a box. No matter what we do, someone's not going to be happy about it. Um, so clearly he upset 
the players by some of the language he used around the trophy. He upset the players by not punishing the players that cheated. But he really couldn't punish the players if he actually wanted to get a real investigation into what happened. So he could get some scintilla of investigation or circumstantial evidence, which could lead him to a penalty. But to really get to the bottom of it, to later prevent it, you had to get a full investigation. So the world's coming down on Rob Manfred as he's bad for baseball and um, – the punishments were wrong, but I can tell you he was boxed in to make this decision in a very tough way that um, I think personally he probably did want to go punish the individual players, but he had to do what he had to do to find out what exactly happened, and he instituted as much punishment he could to the institution. And I'll speak even more so um, on Rob Manfred's behalf and some of the things he's trying to institute in baseball. So you see a... Uh, increasing age of viewers, right? I think the average age last time I looked was like 53 years old for baseball games. And then he's trying to institute new rules and he did the deal with the Atlantic League and we're talking about expanding playoffs and man, there's major pushback um, in regards to this because baseball is a social institution. I think we've talked about this, at least touched on it in other podcasts. He's trying to change the game to keep the game going and grow the game. And to do that, you have to change. You have to adapt, and it's really rubbing people um, the wrong way, but he's doing what he needs to do to grow the game, which is change and adapt. And changing a social institution is very difficult. Many years ago, I heard Bud Selig speak on this, and he was talking about 1990, he wanted to add the wild card to the playoffs, like even that long ago to expand the playoffs. It took him like 10 years to make it happen, to finally convince enough people that this was right, and all of a sudden it was a huge hit. But nobody wants to change the game of baseball because that's what they grew up loving and, and playing. And um, technology wasn't a part of it. And it was the, you know, the human elements we talk about. So um, the name was Rob Manfred. I, those are my feelings. I have a lot of empathy for him. I've been in those shoes with a lot less zeros behind the decisions. But you are in a no-win situation in a lot of things you do. And you wish, you wish as a commissioner you could let people into what's really happening behind the scenes and how the sausage is really made. Mm-hmm. And it's not as easy as it looks. And it's not as simple or clean as some people think it may be or okay. should be. Next word, semi-pro. Doesn't exist. <laughs> you're Why? either a pro or you're an amateur. You can't be half pregnant. <laughs> so you either get paid to play and you're a professional or you're an amateur and you don't get paid. Now, there's some nuances. Like, if you want to use it as a term of art, like, for instance, uh, they're amateur players, but it looks like a professional league. Yeah, I don't know if you want to use it as a term of art, but as far as literally, is there something called a semi-pro player? There's no such thing. You're either a professional baseball player or you're an amateur baseball player. You're either a professional soccer player or you're an amateur soccer player. And the differentiating factor is... Do you get paid to play this game and create a product? That's it. Okay. Last one, analytics. Um, A piece of the puzzle. So the analytics are a piece of the puzzle, and actually this just came up in a conversation. Regarding a big league team who's, you know, according to the pundits, their farm system is rated near the bottom of MLB, and they're a very heavy analytical team. And the comments coming out of that team are, Everything we see on video is all we need to see about a player. That flies in the face of about 100 years of scouting baseball. Um, And I'll say the same thing for other sports too. Soccer, football, basketball, swimming, rugby, water polo, field hockey. You better know something about the person behind the mask, the person behind the stick, the person at the plate. Because when you're 
scouting players, you need to know who they're going to be in five, six years. And you can't see that on video unless you know the person. And we'll see them get off the bus, get on the bus, see them interact with their teammates, meet their parents, meet their girlfriend or boyfriend if they have one. Um, you need to understand everything beyond that and just see, see them compete. And sometimes you can't see them compete on video. And what I mean by that is where are they standing? Are they on the top, top step of the dugout the rest of the game? Are they fighting? Do their, do their teammates rally around them? Um, you can gather a lot from analytics. You can figure out spin rate and angles and launch angles and you know whatever metric we're coming up with next. But it's a piece of the grand puzzle. It's, it, I think that talks about ability and then um, you know a, a person's drive, mental awareness, passion um, is the capability to push them forward. And I don't know if I have those definitions right, but that's that to me is um, analytics are very important, but it's a piece of the puzzle. And really, the human element will never go away. And you're, when you're investing in stock. Right, which is like I think how some owners and draft departments look at athletes in the draft at least. You better get the 360 picture of who they are. And I don't think a personality test does it. I think it takes observation, very keen observation with people with a lot of wisdom and years of experience watching athletes perform and win. Um, and I'll you know speak to the Nationals last year. They they did something that was kind of flew in the face of the momentum of pure analytics. That they went and hired all these scouts that have been around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years to advise on the chemistry of players you bring into the mix. So there's a, a piece about analytics. There's a piece about bringing players in that just know the game, know how to the game, know how to bring teams together because it's pretty clear teams can make the playoffs. It's the chemistry that elevate the once the championship. Okay, next one, social media. Player social media? Sure. Okay, player social media. Um, can be great. Can be a great tool for players to build a brand. In fact, I know one professional league is using the player's social media to drive their messaging as opposed to the league's social channels itself because it's humanizing content. On the other hand, you know, players need to be really responsible with it and try to tune out the noise because I think it can be really distracting for them. Um, there's a piece of it too that it's their right to personal expression and freedom of speech and whatnot. On the other hand, they are employees of a company in, in the case where I'm a commissioner, they're employees of the teams. And employers do have the right to terminate employees, especially when your contract dictates, for violating their social media policy. And that may be disparaging fans. The people that pay the bills, which pays their salary, or disparaging other teams are just casting bad light and um, creating some sort of moral turpitude violation through social media. So um, from the league's office, from the commissioner's office, which I think is what this podcast is about, it's super frustrating because we're trying to build and protect a brand, and I don't think all the players are totally on board with that in terms of where we want to go. It's also like such a fine line because they have the right to express themselves, but when they damage our brand, that's a serious issue. I, I just I have yet to figure out the perfect box without a collective bargaining agreement how to maneuver this appropriately. And I've seen somewhere too, uh, owners want me to discipline players for comments they made on social media that don't necessarily call out a team or um, call out a person, but we clearly know who they're talking about. It's not the commissioner's job to do that. It's the team's job whose employee is the one disparaging a product or a team. I just, I have a hard time as a commissioner stepping in and what I like to refer to behind the scenes playing dad. 
they want me to play dad and like solve issues between people and mediate, which is a part of the job. There's no doubt, but it's sometimes you got teams need to regulate their own players um, when it's off the field issues. So, esports, esports, a uh, huge upside. Clearly, the data, the metrics, the eyeballs, insane. Um, as we like think about where it could go, and I, I talked to a lot of lawyers about this, and people in the industry, and um, talked to someone with. Uh, an esports team here locally about where the money is going and who's going to make money, how we're going to make money. Um, is it the hub and spoke where it's like all the vendors are going to make money, but are the athletes going to make money? How fluid are the athletes? Are they going to be move out, moving in? Can you build a brand around the athletes? Some of them do. I mean, there's some great player brands. Uh, publishers, are they going to come and go? Are the games going to come and go? So your leagues are just getting constantly replaced by other leagues? I don't think so. I think there's some legacy leagues that have been around for 20 plus years that'll stick around and continue. But like Fortnite popped up, went back, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't been following it as closely as you maybe, but um, there's other publishers and brands that are gonna pop up and how do you capitalize on those and will it peel the market away from the other bigger brands? So, and I'm not I'm not by any means an esports expert, it's just someone coming from a very traditional league setting, looking at it saying, there's one more horse at the trough money-wise. There's a publisher, team owner, player or it's typically just league owner, or excuse me, team owner, player. There's a league, but the owners own the league. The publisher is not owned by the team owners. So it's just, it's a really intriguing to see it involve. I do know someone's going to make money along the way. I just don't know who. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next one, college athletes. Um, I, so I just did another podcast on this recently. Um, they should be paid. They should Why? have the right to Why? be paid. They should have the right to be paid. Okay. I'm a free market capitalist. Like if I want to pay you because you're going to help promote my product and help me make money, why shouldn't you be able to do that? Because you're a college athlete, because you play a sport for a university that doesn't pay you. They give you a scholarship. Um, that said, I understand the Pandora's box that opens for the NCAA when it comes to parity and that the outcomes of the games are in doubt which destroys the essence of that level of sport. And as a league commissioner, I understand that. I mean, what gives value to teams, leagues, brand is that you have an equal opportunity to perform like other schools. I think it's somewhat of a misnomer at the NCAA because there's already an arms race over facilities. And so boosters are dumping money into facilities to recruit athletes. If you open up the Pandora's box that athletes can be paid for promotional or material or whatever it may be, even getting a job, I mean, you could say, all right, you're Jake Kranz running back for University of Missoula, and I'm going to pay you $100,000 to uh, go work at the car wash. Well, that's not market rate, but clearly what I can go tell the next athlete is you come here and you need 100 grand to go work at the car wash. How's that sound? It sounds pretty good. Yeah. And now, now the, t- the university with the biggest booster base all of a sudden becomes the best football team, basketball team, whatever. So do you feel like right now – Sorry to get off of the, no, the I think word association good. thing, but right now, do you feel like there's almost already a free market for athletes? It's just not, um, it's just not organized. Like, do you think? Because I know you you mentioned the booster clubs, and that as just as an example, I could go get a job for a hundred thousand dollars working at a car wash if I was a, the best running back in the country playing for Alabama. Do you think that already exists in the black market? Maybe. Yeah. Not openly. Okay. Um, 
I mean, there's been cheating scandals and bribe scandals, whatever, going back to the 70s, 80s, probably before that in the NCAA. So does that exist? Um, Maybe. Yeah, I mean, there was one recently, right, with Adidas. <laughs> yeah. The kids' parents are getting paid or getting jobs or whatever. Right. So I think the black market exists for that, but I don't think it's open. I, like I said, I, I could really fall on both sides of the coins on this, that I understand the NCAA's position. Um from my brain, my heart says these guys and gals should get paid if someone is willing to pay them mm. money. Maybe it's maybe it's the university can't pay them, but then you got the booster issue, and you know maybe the answer is just the union, mm-hmm. and the union figure out figures out where the money goes. Mm. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's uh, a lot of factors. Uh, what's that? There's a lot of factors. There's a lot of factors. We were just talking about the complexity and myriad of issues revolving this, and um, I don't think they're easily solved. I don't think okay. there's you know, two, three, four lawyers that can solve this thing. Mm-hmm. It's gonna probably going to take federal legislation to do it. And I think either you peel the can off the top and go all in or, or you don't, mm-hmm. I don't think there's an in between here. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, going back to the social media thing on the opposite side of the spectrum, what do you think about the athletes that don't want to engage in media? Should they be forced to engage no. in media by the league? No. Okay. From a practical standpoint, it's not going to be genuine if they do engage in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> I have experience in this a little bit. You can always see um, if a team or a league or an entity like kind of pushes a phone or a camera in front of a player's face and asks them to like give a shout out. Yeah. And you can see they're not engaged in this, or they don't want to do it. So, uh, a player should not be forced to do any social media if they don't want to. Once it's like freedom of expression, freedom of speech, like if you don't want to talk, don't talk. Okay. I know, truthfully, the NHL wrestles with this. Um, a lot of their players don't want to talk about themselves because mm. they're t- very team-oriented. The culture of the NHL is it's about the boys. It's about the team. Couldn't oh, yeah. do it without the them. in the league. Yeah, it's a beauty <laughs> league, exactly. Uh, so they struggle because they want the players to talk about themselves and promote themselves. So uh, go from there. Okay. What do you think about running up the score in games? What sport? Any sport. Depends. On what? Well, style points may be needed to get in the NCAA tournament or get a higher ranking, college football playoffs. Um, if you need dominant wins to do that, I have no problem with you trying to win because those are the rules that are set forth. Mm. That's the criteria to ex- excel. Um, is it Where I feel bad is if you're in like college and the, the person on the other side of the field is just a kid and just getting beat up over it, you know, and you're taking shots at them and you know, you don't want to humiliate anybody ever, but if the rules of the game or how it's set up perpetuate it, I have no problem with it. So I think each league makes that decision. If, you know, so for instance, in soccer, we have goal differential as a head-to-head tiebreaker. So mm. are they going to pump important. the brakes? No, oh. man, they're going to go. Oh. Okay. They need those goals to make sure to ensure they make the playoffs or seeding or whatever it may be. Okay. Going back to word association here, last one, performance-enhancing drugs. Wow. Can you imagine uh, someone brought this up, uh, like baseball, if there was like no rules, right? If you could just like take PEDs and, and have a league, a baseball league that just had PEDs, what that would look like. And there would be like... Everybody would be juiced. Well, everyone, you could... <laughs> oh, just say like you can steal signs. You can use tech to steal signs. You yeah. can do like all kinds of crazy of stuff. It's like, it's like an outlaw baseball league. Yeah. Aluminum bats. Whoa. Like, so you just like throw we a bunch of... We should form a league. Well, it's, it's just like you throw a bunch of rules out the door 
and uh, it's like no holds barred. It's like WWE. Like yeah. you, know, you have folding chairs, and there's like yeah. there's a ring, but no one wrestles in it, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so performance enhancing drugs generally. So I'll get off that outlandish topic. Um, maybe not that outlandish, but horrible um, because obviously the consequences of it for people are severe and it includes death. Mm-hmm. However, that said, someone explained this to me when the whole baseball you know, steroid era was going on. It wasn't so much the top players in baseball that were um, the biggest violators. It was the guys sitting in AAA in the clubhouse trying to make the 40-man roster, trying to make the 25-man and just make some more money because at home they've got a family that they have to feed and their career lifespan is like seven, eight years. And they need to capitalize on it and they need to make it there. So you're in a clubhouse in AAA, you're competing with the guy next to you to get that roster spot at the big league team, and he's juicing, and you're not. And you've got a family at home to feed and answer to. Now, there's an ethical portion that says, no, you know, you can go home to your family and say, I didn't do that, right? I did it the right way. I was clean. The other side is you're not feeding your family either mm-hmm. because you're not, you're not doing it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's probably a point there where it was just kind of everyone knew what was going on. It was accepted to a certain extent. I wasn't in clubhouses, and I shouldn't talk like I was. Um, but this is just what I'm speculating. Kind of what I heard from guys is one, like I said, it wasn't always the all-stars at the big league level that were doing it. The biggest offenders are maybe the people that were hanging on the fringes, like trying to get that last roster spot to make some money for their family. Um, and I, I can see the appeal. I can see the appeal of, of, of doing that and just, you gotta, I mean the, the jump from triple a salary to 25 man roster salary is big. So, Okay. Well, that's the last one I have for cool. you. Cool. Thanks, Jake. I, yeah. This has been a pleasure. Okay. I, I, I actually really like this. This was good. Yeah, I liked it too. So, wow. Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Commish Talks. If there are any topics that you really want to hear in future episodes, uh, please feel free to reach out to Josh on LinkedIn, and we will be sure to create some content around that. Thank you.